Well, what makes a person unclean? Different people may have different definitions of clean. A kid may think his room is clean, but his parents may beg to differ. Bachelors may think that their pad is clean, but almost every woman in the world would probably disagree with them. When I was a student, I lived in a house with four other single guys. And I can tell you that we all had very different definitions of clean. So one of my roommates, the one that lived in a sleeping bag on a ratty old couch, uh, his definition of cleaning the shower was that it wasn't, the floor wasn't entirely black with mildew, but you could see the floor kind of through the mildew. That was his definition of, of clean. That was not my definition, but you take what you can get, you know. Uh, <clears throat> what makes a person unclean? So far, I've only been talking about physical cleanness, but cleanliness, both in the Bible and uh, in the modern world, is also a moral category, right? We learned that a couple weeks ago. It's a, it's a category that deals with good and with evil. So that's why we can talk about telling a clean or a dirty joke, or why a public official might, might promise to clean up the streets. Maybe this will help. What do they refer to when they say clean up the streets? Maybe cleaning it up from drugs or violence or whatever. You see, you see cleanness is not only a physical category, it's also a moral category. So considering this moral aspect of cleanness, what makes a person unclean? Here it becomes much more complicated, doesn't it? If we can disagree about what makes a person clean or unclean physically, how much more in our culture do we disagree about what makes someone clean or unclean morally? Think of how divided people are right now on what is fundamentally polluting or corrupting our society. So suburbanites might say that the inner city and its moral problems are ruining our society. Urbanites might respond that no, it's injustice from our police and judicial system that's ruining our society. Older people might say it's the loss of a previous generation's values that is corrupting our society. And millennials might respond with the very opposite, that it's those materialistic values of their parents that has corrupted our society. Wealthy people might say that welfare and the tax burden it lays on our, on our country is what's ruining our society. And poor people might say that it's actually the greed of the ultra-rich, the 1%, that is ruining our society. Who's right? Well, one reason Jesus came was to teach us. He taught clearly and with authority. And his teaching is definitive. His teaching is, is a rock in the midst of the moral confusion and disagreements of our world. And in our passage today... What he teaches us is what really makes a person unclean. He calls us all to listen to his teaching, 
Did you see that in verse 14? Hear me, all of you, and understand. Now, Jesus' teaching here is going to take the form of a parable. And if you've heard that word before, you may think of a parable as a story. And a parable often is a story, but, uh, but sometimes Jesus' parables are just sayings. What, what makes a parable a parable is that its meaning is not immediately on the surface, but that you have to dive deep to really understand the true meaning of the parable, whether that is a story or, like here, a saying. Parables require persistent listening in order to understand them because their meaning is deeper than mere surface level. You know, that's why some people can hear Jesus' teaching and they don't understand it, right? It, it bounces off of them like water off of a duck's back. <clears throat> they listen to it and they go, oh, and they move on with life, right? Because they haven't listened persistently. They haven't really heard and understood Jesus' teaching. And that's what Jesus calls us to do today, to hear, to listen persistently in order to understand the true significance of his teaching. So what did Jesus teach about what makes a person unclean? His entire point is summarized in the parable of verse 15. So follow along with me as I read it. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. On the surface, it's pretty straightforward, right? Uncleanness comes not from the outside, but from the inside. But what does that mean? Well, Jesus explains the parable, the first half of it, in verses 17 to 19. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then Mark comments, Thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus is referring here specifically to the food restrictions of the Mosaic Law. And you can read these commandments in Leviticus 11 in the Old Testament. It's a pretty short passage. For the Jewish people, under the Mosaic Law, certain animals and birds were, were, were considered to be clean and thus edible. And others were unclean and thus off limits. The most famous unclean animal today for the Jewish food restrictions is probably what? It's pork, right? It's pigs. You can, that's right in Leviticus 11. Okay, You can read that in Leviticus 11. <clears throat> and what we see in these commandments about food and other clean and unclean laws in the Mosaic Law is that God cares about cleanness. Not only in the physical sense, but in the moral sense. So scripture teaches many places that uncleanness is the very opposite of God. 
if you put it on a scale, God is over here and uncleanness is over here. And nothing that is unclean can approach a holy God. So Isaiah, in his great vision of the Lord in his temple in Jerusalem, when he saw the, God's robe filling the temple and he heard the angels crying, I'm sure you've heard this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This was Isaiah's response. Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah recognized he was in trouble because the unclean cannot come near the holy God. Likewise, those who ate unclean foods could not come near the holy God. So you can see that this question, what makes a person unclean, is maybe more important than you thought it was originally. It's not just a matter of relating to other people, of wanting to be seen as good and not morally dirty and repugnant, right? It's a matter of coming before the holy God. The unclean cannot come before a holy God. God. So how should we today think about these clean and unclean food laws? Well, Jesus tells us right here. The food laws were meant to teach God's people that God cares about cleanness. But now that Christ has come, there has been a fundamental change in how we approach the food commandments. If we lived in the time before Jesus came, we would want to follow these laws to the T, to be God's clean and holy people. But now that Jesus has come, Jesus, who who is God with us, Emmanuel, fully God, fully man, together in one person, now that Jesus has come, We are free from keeping these food laws. He has declared all foods to be clean. You see, the same God who in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai gave Israel the law has now in Jesus declared all foods to be clean. I think that this great change with the coming of Jesus is something that many people struggle with to understand the Bible. I've seen books where people try to take a year and follow all the laws of the Old Testament and see if they can really do it, you know. And then you write a, you got to write a book about it because you've been unemployed for a year, right? Uh, and, uh, and they're like, whoa, I mean, if you really believe the Bible, then why aren't you doing all these things, Right? Well, I think sometimes people don't understand that it makes all the difference in the world whether you live B.C., before Christ, or A.D., after the coming of our Lord. Jesus came to fulfill the law, he said, and our approach to the law has now changed. We are not under the law in the same sense that Israel was in the Old Testament. 
And one of the clearest examples of that is that we are not required to keep the food commandments of Leviticus 11. Jesus, as Mark said, has declared all foods to be clean. Now, is Jesus speaking against the law here? Is he saying the law was wrong? Well, no. A parent may have a restriction on a child, but change that restriction once the child matures. Right? So bedtime might be at 8 p.m. for your two-year-old, but you're probably going to change that restriction by the time your child turns 18. In the same way, God's plan of salvation came to maturity and fulfillment with the coming of Jesus Christ. And he changed the restrictions. People are no longer required, Jesus said, to keep the food laws. Now, as a side note, I want you to know that only God in Christ can do this. Some teachers today suggest that we should set aside certain teachings of the Bible because we've matured beyond them. Perhaps we've, we've learned more from psychology. But to do this, to do this, to set aside teachings of the Bible is to put ourselves in the place of Jesus. Right? And God has not given that to us. Only Jesus, only God in Jesus can declare all foods to be clean. Well, Jesus teaches us here that food, in fact, cannot make you unclean in any way. Verse 18 says, <clears throat> Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? His reasoning is clear, right? Food goes into our stomachs, not into our hearts. Right? It doesn't touch the part of you, Jesus says, that really counts, the heart. Right? Not just the organ that pumps blood, right? but, but the heart as a symbol of the soul, of, of who you really are, right? of your thoughts and your feelings and your desires. The stomach is not what counts. It's the heart. And food cannot make your heart unclean. So perhaps some of you do follow religious dietary restrictions in here. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has declared all food in the world to be clean. Food cannot make you clean or unclean before God. And neither can other things that come from the outside, right? Following Jesus' reasoning. So, skin color cannot make a person clean or unclean before God. Poverty or wealth cannot make a person clean or unclean before God. Let this encourage you if you're someone whom others has treat, have treated as unclean. These are not things that make someone unclean before God. So what does make a person unclean? Well, we see this in verses 20 to 23. And he said, What comes out from a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within 
and they defile a person. It's not what comes from outside that makes a person unclean. It's the evil thoughts that come out of a person's heart that make him or her unclean. Now, I think evil thoughts is probably meant to be a summary term, and then Jesus explains that with 12 other terms. One thing that really strikes me about this list that Jesus gives us is that it crosses all human boundaries. These are things found in the city and in the suburbs. These are things found in America and in India. These are things found in the first century and in the 21st century. See, these are things common to human experience everywhere. Let's take a look at this list. First, sexual immorality. Porneia in Greek. This refers to the multitude of ways that we have perverted God's good gift of sex. Theft. Taking someone else's property, right? Whether material or digital. Murder. Wrongfully taking someone else's life, which in Jesus' teaching is closely related to anger. Adultery. Breaking the exclusive bond of the marriage covenant in some way. Coveting. Desiring what someone else has. Something that God has given them, but he has not given you. Notice that these last four items theft, murder, adultery, and coveting are all explicitly prohibited in the Ten Commandments. Wickedness, malice against another person, deceit, twisting the truth, whether through exaggeration or outright lies, sensuality, giving yourself over to your senses through drugs or alcohol, and especially through sex. Envy, being jealous of someone else. Literally, the word is giving someone the evil eye. Slander, speaking down of someone else in a deceitful way. Pride, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Or foolishness, which in the Bible is always the opposite of fearing the Lord. All these things come from within, and they defile a person, Jesus says. What makes a person unclean? These are the things that make a person unclean. And they don't come from outside of us. They come right from inside of our hearts. Do you see your own heart anywhere on this list? I think an implication of Jesus' teaching here is that No person is truly unclean before God. Even little children, in all of their innocence, covet and deceive and show their foolishness. But Scripture also teaches us that there is one person who is clean before God. It's Jesus Christ Himself. Now, I imagine that most of us here know the doctrine that Jesus Christ is without sin. But let's consider what that really means by using Jesus' own words here. It means that Jesus 
never had a perverted sexual thought. Not one. It means that he never took something that didn't belong to him. It means that he never murdered anyone. He never slept with a person who was not his spouse, which means he never had sex at all since he wasn't married. He never coveted someone, something that God had given to something else. He never had it out for someone maliciously. He never twisted the truth in any way. You know, I think if we met Jesus, we wouldn't know what to do with him. Kind of like a lot of the people in the gospel, right? Jesus never gave himself over to his senses with alcohol or sex. He was never jealous of anyone. He never defamed another person dishonestly. He was never proud, even though he was the ruler of all creation. And he never did or said anything foolish. Jesus Christ was without sin. He was truly clean. And seeing this helps us understand the next paragraph a little bit better. So we move now from the teaching of Jesus to the actions of Jesus in verses 24 to 30. And if in the teaching of Jesus we learn what makes a person unclean, in his actions we will learn how an unclean person can become clean. And this is the second question we'll ask today. How can an unclean person become clean? Look with me at verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Well, what Mark has done for us here is painted for us a, a portrait of uncleanness. Notice that the woman's daughter had, did you notice it, an unclean spirit. This is the way that Mark typically refers to demons in his gospel. Right? They're unclean because they're evil and opposed to God. Right? So her daughter has an unclean spirit. Further, we're told that the woman is a Gentile, that she's not part of God's holy people. She's a, a Syrophoenician. Probably that specific reference is just to to emphasize again that she is, is not part of the Jewish people, not part of the people of God. So this woman is an unclean Gentile who has a daughter with an unclean spirit, but she comes to Jesus for help. So you are starting to see how the unclean can become clean. Now Jesus' response in verse 27 may surprise you. Let me read it. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Is Jesus annoyed with her? Does he not want to help her daughter? Well, a good rule of thumb, whenever you're reading the Bible and you come across a difficult verse or a hard saying, is read it in its context. And as we read this whole story and this whole paragraph, we see that Jesus does 
heal her daughter of this unclean spirit. So it's not that Jesus doesn't want to heal her daughter. Why then does he say it this way? Well, notice that Jesus is again speaking in a parable. Now, if this woman had been like the disciples or like the crowds in the previous paragraph that we looked at, she may have said, what? Or, huh, and moved on. But she's not like the disciples. She's not like the crowd. This woman listens carefully to Jesus' teaching, and she understands what he's saying without need of an explanation. In the last paragraph, we got an explanation when the disciples asked, right? But in this paragraph, she doesn't need any explanation. She, she listens and understands exactly what Jesus is saying. So let me ask you this. Do you listen to Jesus? Many people in our culture say they respect Jesus. But how many people have actually read the Bible? If you're not a Christian today, shouldn't you actually read Jesus' teaching for yourself before you make a judgment about who he is? And if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, shouldn't you be reading his word even more? And not just reading, but reading and seeking to understand what he really means. You know, <clears throat> I actually, I do this for a living, all right? I get paid to teach the Bible. This is what I do day in and day out. And I confess that I often skim over sections of scripture that I don't understand because I'm lazy or, or I'm apathetic, right? But Jesus wants us to listen like this woman to truly understand and perceive what he's teaching us. That's what this woman does. She listens to the parable, the parable that says, let the children be fed first for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You see, the children here in this parable refer to the Jewish people, those who had been promised the Messiah, the Christ. And the dogs refer to the Gentiles, who are not the direct recipients of God's food, his promises about Christ. So Jesus' point here is actually exactly what the Old Testament teaches and that is that salvation belongs to the Jewish people, the children. The parable, you see, is about the priority of the Jews in salvation. Jesus is their Messiah first. The children should be fed first before the dogs. What this means, of course, is that the woman in Jesus' parable is one of the dogs, now, I don't think Jesus means this as a direct insult, okay? And part of the reason is because the word used in the passage is literally little dogs, which probably refers to dogs in the house kept as a pet, all right? Not to dogs on the street who are the street vermin, all right? And that fits the context of the parable as well. Still, to call the woman a dog is not exactly a flattering statement, Okay? Imagine if Jesus said this to you. Imagine if Jesus today was here with us. He's here with us, all right? But if he's here with us bodily, all right? 
Imagine if he said it to you. I mean, after all, my guess is most, if not all of us in this room are Gentiles, not Jews. Imagine if you came to Jesus for help and he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I think I might be a little offended. I might be a little upset, right? I mean, aren't you Jesus? You're saying that to me? You're calling me a dog? How does the woman respond? She's not offended. Instead, she openly confesses that she is the dog in the parable. She's an unclean Gentile whose daughter has an unclean spirit. And you see here, we see here, that the first step to coming to Jesus is admitting who we really are. Repentance. Admitting that we are unclean. We're not the clean people found on our resumes and on our Facebook profiles and on our Instagram feeds. At the end of the day, we are evil people who have evil thoughts that lead us to evil actions. The problem is not just them, right? The problem is not just out there. The problem is me and you, right? The problem is in here. So have you acknowledged this to God? It's the first step to coming to Jesus. And that's why it's so important. Because coming to Jesus is how the unclean can become clean. That's what this passage teaches us. Coming to Jesus is how the unclean can become clean. What does it mean to come to Jesus Christ? Well, for one thing, it means believing that his teaching is true. That's what the woman does here. Notice that she doesn't ignore his words. She doesn't contradict his words, even though he was, they're difficult. Instead, she takes Jesus at his word, and she pushes his logic even further. Look in verse 28. She answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Isn't it a great picture? Can't you see a little puppy underneath the table, you know, scarfing up all the crumbs that the kid is throwing and dropping off on the floor there, right? It's a great picture. See, her argument is that even though it's true that the Jews have priority in salvation, that the bread belongs to the children first, it also goes to the world, right? The, the dogs also eat up the children's crumbs, And her reasoning is right on. Because the prophets always said that although God would send His Messiah to the Jews, His salvation would spill over to the nations as well. That it would spill over to the rest of the world. Notice here that faith and reason are not opposites. This woman believed in Jesus' words about salvation and she reasoned them out to their logical conclusion. When God calls us to faith, He doesn't ask us to check our brains at the door. He asks us to reason with Him on the basis of the truth of His Word. 
So often, when we hear a hard saying in Scripture, we can ignore it or, or doubt its truthfulness. But this is not the path to being clean. The path to being clean is taking God, taking Christ at His Word, and reasoning with Him in prayer. This is what it means to come to Jesus Christ. But it also means to be persistent in our faith. Did you notice this woman's persistence? I think this might be her most noticeable attribute. She's persistent. So Jesus comes into the town secretly. He, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, right? He's got his celebrity, whatever they wear, you know, glasses or whatever on so no one will see him. And she comes to him anyway and asks him her request. Jesus seems to say to her, no. And she comes back at him. She throws his own words in his face and reasons with him. I wonder if this sounds wrong to you. I I mean, we shouldn't badger God, right? Surely we shouldn't throw his words back in his face. This is what you said, God. The answer is surprisingly, yes. Yes, we should badger God. Yes, we should remind him of what his word says. Not because he's forgotten, but because he's a father who wants us to come to him and ask. I think I can say this because of Jesus' response in verse 29. He said to her, For this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. You know, when I first started studying this, I thought, what was it about this woman's statement that made Jesus heal her daughter? That made Jesus say, for this statement, go back to your daughter and the unclean spirit will leave her. What was it about her statement? And I submit to you, that it was because she came to Jesus with a persistent faith. It was because she came to Jesus with a persistent faith. What do we do when God seems to say no? When we face tragedy, either in the world or or more closely at home. You know, we've lost someone we loved recently at our church, right? Right? Many of us prayed that God would heal little Zion, and God answered no to our immediate prayers. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that God has never promised that we will escape suffering in this life any more than Jesus escaped suffering in this life. But now is the time when we need the example of this woman most of all. When Christ answered no to her request, she took Jesus at his word and persisted in coming to him. Now is the time when we need to hold on to the word of God with all of our might. Friends, I want to encourage you that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. Christ died on the cross for our sins. 
and he conquered death in his resurrection. And he has promised to come again and finish the work he began. We need to hold on to this gospel and persistently come to Jesus, reasoning with him on the basis of his word. This is what makes us Christians. You know, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that one is clean and the other is unclean. Only one man was genuinely clean and could come to God, the one who died for our sins and was risen from the dead. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is this. A Christian keeps coming to Jesus in faith. Let's pray together.